Good morning, beloved. If you would open to John 18, John chapter 18. We're going to look at verses 28 through 38. We continue our study of the church. Um, This morning, we look at the church as she is the community of the kingdom. The church, the community of the kingdom. And this morning, specifically, why we're not more political. Why we, this particular church, are not more political. Verse 28, Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born. For this purpose I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone everyone who's of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? After he said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our time this morning. We pray that you help us understand more greatly um, your kingdom, the kingdom, and our, our, parts, our part as participants of the kingdom. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. Headline, Wall Street Journal, this past week. Reads, bitter presidential race breeds workplace tensions. Goes on to say, and I quote, the divisiveness of this year's presidential campaign has seeped into the American workplace, raising tensions among coworkers and forcing bosses to mediate disputes. With the November 8 election just 13 days away, this is on. This came out on Wednesday. Some bosses and employees say they are white knuckling through, trying to keep things civil and maintain semblance of of productivity. More than half of the HR professionals surveyed this month by the Society for Human Resources Management said they had observed more hostility among coworkers than in previous election years, up sharply from the one quarter who reported an uptick in political acrimony in the group's June survey, end quote. You know, sometimes um, these kinds of of emotions, sometimes these kinds of sentiments um, seep into the church. Um, Some make um, social 
issues or, or political positions the primary focus of what they call ministry. You know, oftentimes you'll see on Fox News or, or CNN um, a pastor being interviewed, and they make some sort of political statement, they um, take some political stance, or they support um, some political figure. I'm sure you've all witnessed that over the last few weeks or months. And even here, if we go back probably, I'd say, six years ago, around that time, um, we had some members here in this church who, who had loud, obnoxious political voices. They would send out in mass um, scorching emails or mocking emails towards um, or against certain political um, leaders. And we put out a very clear, um, authoritative demand to stop it. And it stopped. We don't, we don't have that, that problem now. But we did, and we, we had some going back six, seven, eight years ago or so who had the habit of, of forming their um, theology or their doctrine from their political position, from their political view. That's what you don't do. That's the backwards way of doing things. But, you know, some Christians um, overall wonder why, you know, why isn't the church more political? Maybe you wonder why we're not more political, um, why we're not perhaps what we call more patriotic. You know, why don't we have out in the foyer, for instance, um, pamphlets, pamphlets, you know, guiding us in how to vote or for whom we should vote or what propositions we should vote for and so on. Um, why hasn't the church leadership provided this for us? Why hasn't le church leadership told us who they're going to vote for? Now, granted, you're a Christian, you're a believer, and you're also a, an employee, you're perhaps also a student, you are a citizen of the United States, amen? Or you're a part of another or other institution. Now, with all that in mind, um, John 18 is very informative for us as it provides a, a basic framing principle that, that we can consider as regards God's kingdom, God's kingdom, and its association with other institutions. So it's very helpful for us. So let's look at it. Jesus is in a political conflict. The scene um, you're, you're quite familiar with there in John 18. Um, Jews and Gentiles will bribe for his arrest. They violate justice so as to secure his conviction. They manipulate political power so as to ensure his death. But Jesus is no casualty. Amen. Jesus the Christ is no casualty. Um, some ill-informed Christians don't get that. He's the conqueror. He's no casualty. Jesus is the conqueror. He is in complete control of what's going on in this scene. He's in absolute control. And even up to this point, he, he's executed his foreknowledge in all the events that have transpired to this point and everything that is yet to unfold. He, he is in absolute control 
he has exercised his power over his enemies when he spoke in, in the, when they came to arrest him and he says, I am he, and they all fell backwards. That's, that's power, that's authority. And in the midst of all of this, he's ensured the safety of his own disciples, those that will scatter, those that he said will scatter. He, he, he assures their safety. And just hours earlier, in John chapter 13, in the upper room, the moment that Satan entered Judas, Jesus gave a command to, to Satan, which is to give a command to Judas, in whom he, he dwelt at that moment, and that was this, what you're going to do, do quickly. So he's in absolute control. So before he bears the unrestrained judgment of God due to sinners like you and due to sinners like me, he reaches out and he extends an appeal to a Roman authority named Pilate. That's the scene. Verse 33, so Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, are you the king? Now, why does Pilate think to ask that question? Are you the king? Well, it's only because of what he's been told. The corrupt Jews know that Pilate will never execute Jesus on the charge of blasphemy, right? Never. They've charged him with blasphemy. So having pulled rank on them back in verse 29, Pilate says to them, what accusation do you bring against this man? With their backs against the wall at this point, they're forced to come up with something new. And then the other gospel accounts help us out in this. And they inform us that they invented a new charge, and that is that Jesus claims to be a king. That's a very smart and evil move on their part because it poses a threat of insurrectionism. A threat that Jesus is, is a resurgence. So Pilate, being especially sensitive to any political threat against Rome's authority, especially at the time of the great feast, because during the feast, you'd have hundreds of thousands of Jews in town, in Jerusalem. So any threat with all these pilgrims in town was especially concerning to Pilate. So he, he's not fooled by, by their facade of loyal citizenship. This isn't all, all an act on, on, on the part of the Sanhedrin. And the fact is, if, if Jesus was an insurgent or some political rebel, uh, as much as the Jews hated Rome, the last thing they would do is turn him over if he, if he were plotting some revolt. Amen? That's the last thing they would do. So as he stands now before Pilate, um, Jesus' appearance is not impressive. Now, he's been up all night. He's already been slapped around by the Sanhedrin, literally. So here he stands, and Pilate says, Are you the king of the Jews? You is emphatic. So you carries this contemptuous tone, right? Are you king of the Jews? Jesus answered, verse 34, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? 
In other words, Jesus is saying, look, I'm no revolutionary and you know it. I'm not. Why are you asking if I am a king? Someone put words in your mouth? Look, Pilate, you're more discerning than that. Is this something you really want to know the answer to? So Jesus, very subtly and masterfully here, turns the tables, and Jesus now becomes the interrogator. Awesome. So feeling the weight of it, sensing the invasiveness of it, Pilate defensively resists. Here, notice verse 35. Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Probably an anti-Semitic tone there. Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? In other words, I have no interest in Jewish matters. Okay, it's obvious you're no revolutionary. If, you're, if you were your chief priest, they wouldn't have handed you over to me. What have you done? So Jesus now responds with two features that define the essence of the kingdom. Over which he rules. Then... And now, number one, he says, God is the author of the kingdom. The author of the kingdom over which I am king, God is the author. Notice, it's stated in the negative in verse 36. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. That is to say, it's not from out of this world. Literally, my kingdom is not from here. It does not emerge from out of this place. Notice, if, if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. Now remember, he, he already rebuked Peter just hours earlier not to resist with the sword. Peter, if you live by the sword, you will. You'll die by the sword. Capital punishment, right? If you take someone's head off, they'll take yours off. He, he's told his listeners, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. So, friends, it's very important that we understand what Jesus is not saying here. Okay? What he's not saying. Okay, my kingdom, he's not saying when he says my kingdom is not from here, my kingdom is not of this world, he's not saying my kingdom's not in this world. He's not saying that. He's not saying my kingdom is not active in this world. He's not saying my followers have nothing to do with this world. He's saying it didn't originate from here. Okay? So we mustn't imply what Jesus never intended to imply. Because many Christians have taken this text so as to affirm, you know, disengagement from the culture. And some go as far as to resort to, pardon the pun, resort to commune life. We'll just put up our little walls and dwell together uh, away from the world and historically Christians have isolated themselves, um, refusing to bother with our neighbors, 
refusing to bother with, with government bodies, refusing to bother with the educational system. And they reason, you know, we'll just cloister, cloister ourselves within, within our own walls. Because after all, God's kingdom isn't here. False. It didn't originate from here. Okay, amen? When he says my kingdom is not of this world, he's not talking about the sphere of his kingdom. He's not talking about the scope of his kingdom, but he's talking about its origination. It didn't originate from here. So if it didn't originate out of this realm, it either originated from hell or from heaven. You see, in this kingdom is authored by God. It's authored by God. Now, Pilate doesn't want to go too deep. So in verse 37, Pilate said, so you are a king. <laughs> it's hysterical. So you are a king. Verse 37, Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In other words, you're correct in saying that I am a king. Everyone, or actually, for this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who's of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? Now, John's gospel identifies the truth. Remember, from chapter 1 on, John's gospel identifies the truth not as a thing, but as a person. Jesus is the truth. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And he comes to the earth to give perfect revelation of God the Father. Jesus has come to reveal God. He's come to the earth to reveal God. He's come to show us about ourselves. He's come to show us about our sin. He's come to show us about salvation. He's come to show us about eternal life. It's in him. So he, he provides answers to all of these things. And even here, to Pilate, he extends a hand of grace. Everyone who's of the truth listens to me. So number one, Jesus says, God is the author of the kingdom. And number two, God is the subject of the kingdom. He's the author of the kingdom. He's the subject of the kingdom. Everything Jesus has comes from him. It comes from my father. And everything Jesus does points to him. It comes from him. It points back to I, Jesus said, testify of him. I'm here to reveal him. Remember in John 14, upper room, just the night before this, in John 14, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it's enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? You see, all who really want the truth, all who are willing to submit to the truth, 
ultimately recognize that the truth is found in Jesus the Christ, Son of God, the King of the kingdom. The one who came to establish his kingdom. The one who will yet come again and consummate the kingdom he established when he came the first time. So the capacity to see Jesus, the capacity to receive Jesus as who he is, the embodiment of truth, is not merely intellectual. It's moral and it's spiritual. That's why people have a problem with truth. And they fight against it. You want to know the truth? You bow before the truth. Truth is not a thing. It's a person. It's Jesus, the God-man. So Jesus, the king, he'll go on to, to give himself over to sinful men. He'll allow himself to be delivered into the hands of sinful men. He will lay his down, his life down. No man takes my life. I lay it down freely. And then after he does this glorious work and he raises from the grave, we read in Hebrews chapter 2, now, verse 5, it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we're speaking. It has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in, in subjection under his feet. Okay, God's promise to his king. Okay, God the Father's promise to his king, his son. The cosmos being put under his feet as the God-man. He'll condescend from heaven. He'll take on a human body. He'll conquer sin and death. He'll raise from the grave. And the Father gives to him the cosmos that is under his feet. All of that was accomplished at Jesus' resurrection. It's his. He's the king of the kingdom. Now, the writer of Hebrews, okay, he goes on to, to qualify that. Notice in verse 8, Hebrews 2. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, Jesus, the king, he left nothing outside his control. Did you get that? He left nothing, no thing outside of his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. Is everything in subjection to him? Is everything under his control? Yes, but we do not yet see everything. So he's telling us, the writer of Hebrews, that Jesus is king over the entire cosmos. But only part of his kingdom is visible to us at this point. Because we do not yet see his perfect rule manifest in present world his kingdom has been established amen has he been enthroned yes is everything in subject subject under his control under his authority yes 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 but not yet has every knee bowed and not yet has every tongue confessed that jesus christ is lord to the glory of the father but they will they will because he's the king, and he's in control. 
And they will when he consummates the kingdom that he already established. Then every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. So the kingdom of Jesus Christ has the whole creation in view as we read scripture. And ultimately, he will lay claim to everything. It's all his. We do not see yet at present everything being in subjection to him. That's what the writer of Hebrews says. So from out of his creation, from out of his cosmic rule, this is Jesus the king, from out of his kingdom, from out of his kingdom, God calls people out and to himself as he has you, as he has me. God calls out people to belong to him through Christ as part from out of this Jesus kingdom. That is to say, the disciples of Jesus, you and me, we're not the kingdom, friends. Okay? We're not the kingdom. We belong to the kingdom. The kingdom belongs to us. Amen? We belong to the kingdom because we're the kings. The kingdom belongs to us because it's his. He is king. So sinners are called into the kingdom. They, they enter the kingdom. They're governed by the kingdom because the kingdom is not the people of God. The kingdom is the rule of God. Amen? The kingdom is the rule of God. His church, the church of Jesus Christ, is a society of people within that kingdom. That's what we are. So we, the church, we're not the kingdom. We serve the kingdom. We're here in this world as witnesses of the kingdom. We serve it. We bear witness to it. But Christ alone builds it. Amen? Christ builds the kingdom. Men cannot build this kingdom, though men try to, 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 to build some kind of, of utopian rule or some crazy nonsense. They've always tried this. Christ builds his kingdom. And then God calls his church to bear witness of the kingdom. We're not the kingdom. We bear witness to it. We're redeemed sinners who experience life of the kingdom over which Jesus is king. Are you with me? The church is Christ in the world. The church is Christ in the world. What does Paul call the church? We've talked about it for weeks. We are the body of Christ. He's the head. He's the head. The Holy Spirit sovereignly bestows diverse gifts to the members of that body, and we represent, as a whole, the head. Jesus is the head, we're the body, and we act on behalf of our King, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are then Christ in the world. We are Christian, little Christs in the world. So that makes us then custodians of the kingdom. We are the salt, and we are the what? We're the light. You are the salt. You are the light. I'm the king. It's my kingdom. You bear witness of me in the kingdom. I've called you out. So the church then must persevere and preserve its saltiness. 
We must keep the light in working order as kingdom citizens, right? So how do we do that? Number one, by preserving the biblical message. Preserving his message. We attend to it. We study it. Leaders are called to rightly divide it. And we proclaim it. We proclaim his word. So as he gathers in from the nations, as he gathers in a people for himself, those who are being saved, then his under-shepherds are called to lead the flock, feed the flock, shepherd the flock, is what we're called to do. And we, we shepherd them to the kingdom. We shepherd them under the kingdom. We shepherd them within the kingdom. And that's why we proclaim the truth week after week after week. That is why we do what we do. And we do it to those who will hear. Those who have been given ears to hear. We proclaim the truth. We make disciples of the nations. And we, we're not here to politicize them. Right? That's not the church's duty. Within this society, we don't politicize God's people. We disciple them in the truth. The truth of the king as kingdom citizens. So our mission is to proclaim and pursue the kingdom that Jesus established when he came the first time. Amen? What have we been hearing in Mark's gospel? Time is fulfilled, right? The king has come. The kingdom's at hand. All of the promises have been fulfilled. I'm here. Kingdom's at hand. If I cast out Satan by... by if I cast Satan out, what's upon you? By the finger of God, the kingdom's come upon you. The king came with his kingdom. So we proclaim it, we pursue it. Now, individually, okay, individually, okay, we're Christians, we're citizens of his church, and at the same time, we're citizens of the United States of America. Amen? You want to be a good citizen? I want to be a good citizen. I want to be patriotic. I have a flag, I wave the flag, I'll salute the flag, I'll say the Pledge of Allegiance. And, and be patriotic. But see, what we are, we are dual citizens. Citizens of the kingdom. We're citizens of our society. We're called to obey our civil government. Amen? We're called to obey our civil magistrates as far as we are able. Until they demand that we do what God says do not do. So although you have a political stance... And your church leadership has a particular political stance. And individually, we will go vote, or we should go vote. Amen? We should vote as citizens. At the same time, whoever is put in places of leadership, we can examine, we can measure what they say and what they do in light of what? The words of the king, who's king of the kingdom, 
We can measure what they say, examine what they say, because God, who's always judged nations, still judges nations. So we're dual citizenships. Now, all that being said, we as church leaders, or any church leader for that matter, should not and we will not hitch the church's wagon to a political ideology. All that does is cause strife and division. Because the church is hitched to the kingship of the king, who is Jesus, the Christ, Son of God. He's the king. We're citizens of his kingdom. And therefore, we don't divide the church in that way. Now, as individual believers, are we free to do other things? Such as, you know, volunteer for for something that, that does some cultural good. Can, can you volunteer in, say, a soup kitchen? Can you volunteer at a polling place come next Tuesday? Of course you can. As a citizen of the community. So we can serve in these places. We can serve in certain charities, provided they flow from and are not in opposition to our basic orientation and heavenly institution, the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Amen? And I say all that not because people are really clamoring here. Now and again, you know, why don't we have this or why don't we have that? Well, this is the reason. But many churches today are more social than they are gospel focused. So let me quote theologian Michael Williams. This is a rather lengthy quote, but it's rich. Quote. Whenever human beings sense that things are not as they ought to be, that something is amiss in their lives or in their societies, the kingdom of of God is what they're hoping for. Wherever justice and mercy are sought, the kingdom of God pushes back the kingdom of evil. It may, by God's common grace, common grace, take place completely outside of the body of Christ, Indeed, the behaviors and attitudes of our unbelieving neighbors may sometimes come closer to the kingdom in some areas of life than those of believers. Amen? It's true. Conversely, wherever evil is done or pursued, whether by unbelievers or believers, the kingdom of the devil extends its grasp. The rule of God is realized through the righteous action of God's people in spheres of life lying beyond the institutional church. Christian political action, for example, seeking a just society based upon biblical insights and commitments, belongs to the kingdom. But such action is not merely the church. He goes on. The church does not exist for its own sake apart from the kingdom. The power of the gospel of the kingdom has called the church into existence. And the church exists for the sake of the kingdom of God. Thus, the kingdom must be the ultimate horizon of the church's existence and work. 
This does not demean the church, but rather recognizes that God elects men to salvation for a purpose, that they will serve him. It's in the church, the people of God, that God intends the power of the kingdom to be concentrated and visible. While the whole world will finally be the domain of Christ, the church is called to be an advertisement for Christ and his rule. Very good. Isn't that good? If Jesus' disciples are those who've received the life and fellowship of the kingdom, and if this life is in fact an anticipation of the eschatological kingdom, that is the the, the new heaven, new earth, then it follows that one of the main tasks of the church is to display in this present evil age the life and fellowship of the age to come. Beautiful. So our focus is Christ. Our focus is his kingdom together pursuing Christ, together pursuing the kingdom and the truth that we're called to proclaim. And that is there's a heavenly future. There's a consummated reality of what Jesus came to establish when he first came. We'll see it in its fullest sense. That's why we pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What did Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. One last quote. It's from a Table Talk magazine. I just don't remember which month I was reading. I read it this week. I don't remember which month it came from, so if you go to look for it, I'll have to go search it out. Quote, being Christians in the world, we face the challenge of having our ethics shaped by the culture around us. That is why we must be careful to discern the messages we are being sent and evaluate them by the standards of the word of God, right? King of the kingdom. Our media-driven age makes this even more difficult. May we strive not to embrace what the voices around us are telling us is good, but call good only that which our Lord approves. End quote. Amen? So hopefully that will help you if you struggle with being part of the kingdom under the sovereign rule of the king while you live amidst our culture and, and have certain responsibilities within it and want to serve it as, as best we can for the glory of God, especially in this radical, crazy political season. <laughs> amen and amen.